Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, February 25th, 2022. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this allegedly weekly radio program. I am joined in studio on this snowy morning by Lieutenant Matthew Hill, who's working the board. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. And Captain Gary Traversa, who is uh, over there coaching. Um it's a blustery, snowy day, and uh, we'll just before we get the weather forecast, I'll just say the roads aren't great. Uh, I didn't expect it to take me 30 minutes to drop the dog off and to get here, but it did, 30 minutes to the dot, so uh, I'm a little behind. But we're going to get a check of the weather, and then we'll come back and I'll talk about some news items, and then uh, we'll Skype our guest in, Skype or Zoom our guest in, and we'll get started. <laughs> Com for Friday, February 18th. Greetings! Tonight, mostly clear, with a low of 13. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high of 30, with afternoon snow showers and snow squalls. Tomorrow night, partly clear, with a low of 9. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing night. Cheers, everyone! Good morning. Thanks for tuning in and joining us again. Uh, I don't, as much as I appreciate Jacob, I'm not sure that we needed Jacob to give us the weather today and <laughs> look out the window. Uh, this has been predicted to be the worst snowfall of the winter season. And if my drive-in was any indication, it definitely is. Captain, how was your drive-in this morning? Slippery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's just say uh, the roads aren't great right now. we got to give the crews time to catch up. Um, I'm having trouble loading uh, the stories on my device here. So I'm going to do this from memory. News items. Let's just say the, the top three news items that caught my eye this morning. Obviously the weather. Uh, this this is a significant weather event, and uh, snow was coming down heavy and hard. Um, I, it was definitely the deepest I've seen it in my yard in one snowfall this year. Uh, other noteworthy news items I don't think we can get through the program without mentioning it is the situation in the Ukraine. Um, it's tragic. It's, it's kind of horrifying, um, you know, evolving and, and developing by the minute. So keep the people of the ukraine in your thoughts and if you're a religious type of person uh, in your prayers and then the other uh, news item i just wanted to draw your attention to and it's weird how this stuff works we had a coffee with a cop earlier this week and we held it at um with our community partners at the christian center and while i was at the christian center talking to the executive director betsy she shared with me that they were waiting for um an arraignment in a in a case that they were the victim in and i wasn't aware of this case it, it's financially significant but not the type of case that would automatically come to the chief's office so i had to 
follow up with the lead detective when I got back just to get caught up. And the story about the arraignment is in today's Eagle. You know, it's just it's one of those horrific and tragic things where the Christian Center brought somebody on board to help them with social media and marketing. And the employee allegedly took advantage of them uh, and is charged with larceny of nearly $20,000 while he was on their uh, payroll. And that case is developing. It's still under investigation. So um, we'll see. And with those three news items, let's turn our attention to our guest this morning. Lieutenant, would you like to introduce our guest who you, uh, you arranged to be with us today? Sure. Uh, I arranged to have Michelle Lopez from the Berkshire Immigrant Center to join us today. Awesome. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Chief Wynn and Lieutenant Hill. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, it, you and I have not actually had the, uh, the opportunity to do any really like one-on-one work since you've taken over the immigrant center which no unfortunately not yeah. it's been covid times although we're yeah. we're neighbors technically for yeah. offices we it's are really technically a shame neighbors. we haven't met yet and uh and I, I actually worship in the church so um we're in and out of there all the time oh we love saint stephen's they're so yeah. good to us but um one of your predecessors brooke is a is a good friend of mine and when she was in charge of the immigrant center we did a lot of work together um, but we, the department has become dependent on the Berkshire Immigrant Center for a lot of things, including translation services, but mainly just to kind of help us communicate to newly arrived immigrants the differences between police departments in their home countries and police departments here. So I'm grateful for the cooperation that we've always gotten from the Immigrant Center, and I'm glad that you could join us today. Thank you so much. Yes, I look forward to that relationship continuing and whatever we can do, we're always happy to to help out. So normally when we have a guest, we like to start with a, a little bit about the guest before we get to their program or their organization. So why don't you tell us um, you know, a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the Immigrant Center and to the Berkshires? Sure. So I'm originally from upstate New York. Um, Lopez is my married name. My husband is a Cuban national. Um, I was living in Cuba for four years from 2015 through 2018. Um, We moved to Boston when we came to the States and I was working at Brandeis. Saw Brooke's farewell letter uh, posted on a Facebook page that I was following um, in Boston and read the letter and was incredibly moved. I had never met Brooke, I had never been to the Berkshires, but the way she spoke about this community and how welcoming they are to immigrants, I just knew that I needed to apply for the job. So I applied and got it and moved um, all within a month. Started the day after we moved into our apartment in Pittsfield and uh, it's become home really quickly. So I'm just really grateful to be a part of the community. That is an enormous leap of faith. (laughs) <laughs> you should have read the letter. It was incredibly touching. Brooke has a great way with words. No, I did read the letter. Um, so you said you've never been to the Berkshires. Were no, you... and I grew up in the Catskills, so kind of weird <laughs> that I wouldn't have made the one-hour trip in my whole childhood. <laughs> Were you familiar with the Berkshires? Yes, of course. Definitely had heard of it. Um, I think it was just like, oh, well, you grow up in the Catskills. The Berkshires are basically the same thing geography wise. But what you don't realize until you move here is it's vastly different um, 
you know, community-wise, culturally, the immigrant presence in the Berkshires is um, so much more robust than it is in the Catskills, at least when I was growing up. Um, there's so much more diversity here, although, you know, we could always use more. Um, but it is, it's so interesting how, how different it is culturally compared to the Catskills. Can you expound on that a little bit more? Like, what what was the the striking or telling things culturally when you got here? Sure. Um, first off, definitely the amount of musical, theater, dance institutions, which at first I was a bit hesitant thinking that, oh, maybe they're not that accessible. I'm sure they're expensive. Um, but especially over the course of the pandemic, I've seen so much outreach from these um, cultural institutions to the community, providing free tickets, um, reduced tickets for, you know, Berkshire residents. Um, a lot of people pivoting to offering information in Spanish, which has been awesome. And unfortunately, you know, growing up in the Catskills in the 90s and early 2000s, I never saw any of that. Um, I know it's changing a bit because of the influx of, you know, New York City uh people to both the Berkshires and the Catskills, but um, although both rural areas, the Berkshires uh, just seems to be a little bit more connected with the rest of the world. Makes sense. Yeah, I think, so I'll, in the interest of full disclosure, one of the things that I've talked about frequently over the course of my tenure as a chief and actually most of my adult life is growing up here, one of the, I think, unfortunate cultural artifacts is that many of us don't take advantage of the cultural opportunities that people travel from all over the world to come here for. Like they're in the back of your mind and they're kind of there, but they're almost scenery. And um, sure. when I got to Williams and some of my classmates from elsewhere in the country, like, are you so lucky to live here? You must've been here and you must've been there. And I had to admit to a classmate that I hadn't been to Tanglewood since I left high school. And I hadn't been to the Clark since I went there on like a third grade field trip. And I had never been to Jacob's Pillow. And so when I got out of school, it was like, you know what? I've got to focus some attention on that. And as you said, most of our local cultural destinations are really, really good about making their, um, their venues and their programming accessible to Berkshire residents. Um, at le even if they can't do it during their main seasons, at least on the shoulder seasons, there's always, mm -hmm. uh, there's always days and events for, for locals. So people should definitely take advantage of that. So, how long have you been with the Immigrant Center now? It'll be three years in May. So, you know, most of it has been during COVID, and I, too, have not. I've never been to Tangwood, unfortunately, but hopefully this summer that will change. Uh, we'll, we'll have to take care of that. We'll make some <laughs> phone calls. <laughs> so, you arrived at the Immigrant Center just before the, the pandemic. You must, you must have had high, high hopes and aspirations to hit the ground running. For sure. And luckily, we still did. Um, we have just become independent. Uh, we have been under a fiscal agent for 24 years. Um, we have seen more clients uh, over the course of the pandemic than ever before because of the virtual offerings. Uh, now clients coming from South County, North County, Connecticut, Vermont, New York don't have to drive, you know, half an hour or over an hour to come see us in person. They can have a virtual or phone appointment. Um, same thing with our English and civics classes. So 
Although I personally miss being in the office. I'm a really social person and enjoy, you know, hearing several different languages through the hallways and the hustle and bustle of everybody. Um, it has been, I think, advantageous for most of our clients in terms of not having to schlep all the way into the center of Pittsfield. And downtown parking, you know, it can be a little difficult. So <laughs> I think that Particularly most people on are Allen happy Street, with the change. Federal Street. I mean, downtown parking is bad anyway, but if you're on the block where we are, it's yeah, it's, it's super bad. <laughs> yeah, you guys too. I mean, oh, the poor police department, you have no parking. <laughs> we share that problem. Uh, so it, I think many people who work in in public service or in government or in other nonprofits are very familiar with the Berkshire Immigrant Center and the work of the Berkshire Immigrant Center. But I would imagine that for many of our viewers and listeners um, who have not gone through the experience of being an immigrant, they may not be. So can you tell our viewers and listeners just a kind of thumbnail? Uh, yeah. What, what is the mission and organization of the Berkshire Immigrant Center? Yeah, of course. So our mission is to provide low cost and free services um, to immigrants and their loved ones. We um, provide legal services, um, so mostly uh, green card applications or renewals, um, citizenship test preparation um, and, and filing for naturalization, family reclamation visas, visitors visas, fiance visas, marriage visas. Um, and right now with the Afghan evacuee um, population being resettled in Pittsfield, um, our caseworkers are now learning how to do asylum cases, which is really exciting for all of us involved. That's kind of a lot of work. It is, and we are a small staff. We just became a staff of seven in January. Um, four of us are full-time and three of us are part-time. And then, of course, we have a slew of wonderful board members and volunteers. Is, is that a staff expansion? It is a staff it, expansion. It, it used to be like the executive director plus one and a half, I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've... Um, been able to add on a new executive assistant, um, which has been amazing. She is um, quadrilingual. She speaks English, Portuguese, Spanish, and German. So wow. having two new languages on staff, Portuguese and German, has been awesome. Um, and then my predecessor's predecessor, Hillary Green, although no longer on staff, um, has been a volunteer caseworker you know, for the, I think, almost decades since she stepped down from being executive director. Hillary's um, awesome. She's our, Hillary Green, yeah. She's our Russian speaker. She stays accredited with the Department of Justice. And our two other caseworkers who are full-time staff members um, are also accredited by the Department of Justice. So although these three caseworkers aren't attorneys, they are representative of um, U.S. legal system and are able to sign off on legal immigration forms and that's why we can do what we do at such a low cost and um and sometimes for free depending on the person's financial situation all right so one of the things that um it was actually brooke in her capacity was able to help me with and this may have changed since he helped me with that but can you can you tell our viewers and listeners the let's go with five most frequently spoken languages from the clients that you serve? For sure. So first is definitely Spanish. Almost 70% of our clientele speaks Spanish. Um, next is French. 
then we have Portuguese, um, still some Russian speakers uh, from when we opened in the late 90s. We were initially established by the Jewish Federation of the Berkshires as um, resettlement for mainly Jews coming from the former Soviet Union after the Cold War. And then fifth, maybe Mandarin we're seeing a little bit more, but I'm sure that's going to shift to Pashto and Dari after all of the evacuees from Afghanistan are resettled here, which has been a struggle. If you know anyone who speaks Pashto or Dari listeners and viewers today, uh, please email us at info at BerkshireIC.org because it has been very difficult to find uh, those speakers of those languages. I'll make sure I put a request for that into the uh, notes when we push this over to the the podcast side see if if we can get a a larger reach so the reason i asked that question and the the reason that i asked brooke to help me with that and uh i don't think um i don't think mandarin was five when she asked me i think at that time italian was five and we actually shifted it from that to american sign language because we knew we had a lot of native italian speakers anyway but one of the things that my predecessor did in the department is we have a language incentive for our officers if they develop uh, proficiency, conservative or conservation, conversational proficiency in a language, they're eligible for a, a pay incentive as long as they maintain oh, excellent. that. And so Berkshire Immigrant Center and Berkshire Community College helped us set that up um, under my predecessor. And the only language at the time was Spanish. And so... Several years ago, I guess it would be three years ago now, guys, during the last round of contract negotiations, we wanted to take a look at that because we knew, um, based on some of our experiences dealing with people, particularly uh, people from Brazil, who spoke Portuguese, not Spanish, that we, we weren't meeting the community's needs. So we wanted to know what other languages we should incentivize. So we added Portuguese, French, Russian, and American Sign Language. And when I brought the list to my counterparts in City Hall, and it's like, this is what we're going to expand to, they couldn't understand why we would want Russian and French. Now, you were very clear about the explanation for Russian because, you know, BIC was founded to kind of help with immigrants and, and possible, you know, asylum seekers from the former Soviet Union. But why French? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, French, not because we have a lot of immigrants coming from France anymore, but because we have a lot of immigrants coming from Ivory Coast, Ghana, and um, a few from Haiti, although we're hoping to receive more um, if they are um, given refugee status in the future. So, um, you know, it's not French from France. It's a French uh, kind of Patois Creole um, coming from those different countries. So, and I asked you that question specifically because I know in my community meetings when we're out there doing uh, neighborhood meetings or neighborhood watch meetings, people don't understand that. They, they, don't, they don't understand that immigrants from particularly the countries you mentioned in Africa, in, in addition to whatever the, the language, um, their local dialect maybe, whatever their local spoken right. tongue is, that in many cases, their second language isn't English. I think for many Americans, we just kind of assume, you know, it's whatever they speak in English, and it's not. In many cases, it's French. Right. And, um, you know, particularly for some of our, our new small business owners in the downtown area, having some people with the ability to speak French was, was going to be um, huge for us. The, the bad news is we don't have the same depth 
of instructional availability for those other languages with BCC that we do for Spanish, but we're getting there. Um, I just, I think it's always important for our community members to know that there are many spoken tongues uh, among the immigrant population here at home. And as, as government, we need to be flexible and adaptive to that. Totally agree. So if you are successful in the future, um, in if they receive refugee status and if you are successful in increasing the number of Haitian immigrants that you provide services for, I'm just we're gonna we gotta do this. We gotta throw one of our superstars under the bus. So we have a comparatively new employee. He came on with us during the pandemic. He's a rock star. He's Haitian. And uh, awesome. and we throw him out to the public. He is fluent in English, Spanish, French, and Creole. Wow. Does he want another? <laughs> he, we are so lucky to have him. His name is Officer Ansi Jumo, and, and he's just been a, a great addition to our team. You left one out, Chief. He speaks one more. What's the other one? An African dialect called Tree. He did not share that with me. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Five languages. <laughs> I wish we could sway him to come to us. Maybe we can share him. Maybe, maybe I'll see if uh, we can get him to do some volunteer time, or maybe we'll figure out a way to provide him with some release time. Well, that's so exciting. Is he new to the community as well? He relocated here from the Boston area. He came out, uh, he took the test and came out here specifically because he had seen some of the stuff we were doing, particularly what Officer Derby was doing on our social media profile, and he decided he wanted to work with us. So he turned, oh, down, he turned down jobs in the Boston area to come out here. We're pretty oh, great. Congratulations. That speaks volumes about the, the department here. Sometimes we get lucky. <laughs> All right, Gary, what time is it? We got a few more minutes before we have to take a break. So I'd like to come back from the break and, and talk about the pending legislation um, around the Safe Drivers Act. But in the few minutes we have before we have to go to a break, what do you want to tell viewers and listeners about the the work and the effort and the mission of the Immigrant Center? Yeah, so um, I stated our mission, but basically uh, the outcome that we're hoping for, the vision that we have for the Berkshires and, and especially the immigrant population, but the community as a whole is just to make sure that immigrants are given the same chance to uh, thrive in our community as those who uh, are native born to the U.S. and, and the Berkshires. Um, this driving bill that we're going to talk about after the break is definitely a huge step towards that uh, goal of uh, thriving immigrants in our community and across the Commonwealth. Um, but obviously there are so many uh, systemic issues that need to be resolved and really discussed and um, figured out before that can happen. But um, whatever we can do locally to help immigrants uh, legally, emotionally, um, with their health, with their education, uh, we will do. And luckily, we have so many amazing organizations, entities, educational institutions in the county um, that help us complete that mission. We definitely uh, don't do that on our own as a staff of seven people. Um, and, you know, this conversation that we're going to have after the break, I think, is such a great step towards that vision. If viewers and listeners want to help out or assist the Berkshire Immigrant Center, what are the best ways for them to do that? Um, please contact us at info at berkshireic.org. 
um, you can go on our website, BrickshireIC.com, um, and check out uh, volunteer opportunities, apply to be a volunteer, um, look at ways to support us um, financially, uh, sponsor an event, um, or sponsor our different pathways uh, funds, which help people up apply for immigrant benefits, uh, different visa applications range from, um, you know, $100 to thousands of dollars. Many people don't understand how expensive it is to become a resident or a citizen in the U.S. Uh, so if you can help out a family or an individual with that uh, financial hardship, that would be amazing. We had the opportunity recently, we did our first crossover episode between our show and um, Miss Roberta McCulloch Dues' show. Uh, the, she's the director of administrative services for the mayor's yes. office. And so she was a guest on our show. And then right after the nine o'clock hour, as we rolled into the next hour, we aired the show she and I had recorded earlier in the week. And during the interview, when Roberta was on our show, um, she shared her journey because she's originally from Jamaica. And so she was talking about as a young woman when she became a citizen and, you know, how exciting that was for her. But we kind of parsed out that, you know, that process for somebody who comes to the United States to gain full citizenship is not short and it's not easy. And the amount of knowledge that somebody could is required to, to have is significant. And I kind of facetiously made the comment that people who study for the citizenship exam probably know more about U.S. history than civics than most oh, high school graduates. Uh, easily. <laughs> the, the United States government does not make it easy for people to obtain citizenship. And, you know, that's that's probably for the best. But it's it's a significant investment and an amount of work for somebody to do that. Definitely. Yep. Um, so we have, I mean, we're, we're blessed. We live in the, the beautiful Berkshires and we've got some quality educational institutions here. And in addition to people who either emigrate here or relocate from elsewhere in the country, either for educational opportunities or for work opportunities, we have a lot of people who are multilingual. So do you need volunteers who speak other languages for interpretation or translation services? Always. Yes. Yes. Anybody who speaks another language, we would love to have you on our list. Um, sometimes a language that we're not necessarily aware of, uh, you know, the access is needed. Uh, so if you think that uh, I'm the only person in the Berkshires from Romania, I can't help anybody. That's not true. We definitely get requests um, that run uh, the gamut of languages. Uh, so please, if you speak another language fluently, um, please go to our website and fill out the volunteer form. We would love to have you on our list to call um, if and when we get requests for different languages, interpretation and translation wise. So I want to follow up on that, but you reminded me that I forgot to ask you a question earlier uh, when you were talking about the your pivot to remote and telephone work as a result of the pandemic. I, I would imagine that with you know two and a half, three years of experience under our belts, you, like us, are, are probably going to continue those offerings even after we remove back to some sense of normalcy because it did oh, increase access in your caseload? Definitely. 
so much. And of course, we'll still we'll want to go back to having definitely our classes in person, just because we know that it really helps our students to be able to have the English conversation um, in person. But I believe that most of our clients will still opt to have those appointments with our caseworkers um, over Zoom um, because of, you know, the ease of, of not having to come into downtown Pittsfield, um, you know, unless they want to, of course, come in and see us in person. Yeah, and while they're there, you know, take advantage of some of our wonderful downtown dining and entertainment opportunities. Local For shopping. sure. Yeah. Got to throw that plug out to our friends for DPI. So my follow-up question to that before we go to the break is, is, is remote or telephonic access something that language volunteers can help you? Can they do it that way? Is this- yes, they can. Yeah, we um, offer monthly legal clinics that we've been doing over the phone with interpreters. Um, same thing with caseworkers and Zoom. It's definitely all doable thanks to technology nowadays so they don't even have to be in the berkshires they could actually help you with this from anywhere in the world yes very true (laughs) all right we'll make sure we put that there too all right thanks so much lieutenant that's probably a good time for us to go for station identification or the check of the weather and we'll come back and we'll pivot a little bit to law enforcement related immigration issues For Friday, February 18th. Greetings! Tonight, mostly clear, with a low of 13. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high of 30, with afternoon snow showers and snow squalls. Tomorrow night, partly clear, with a low of 9. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Blind for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing night. Cheers, everyone! Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsburgh Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Shire Brewhouse at the Stationery Factory in Dalton, offering music bingo on Tuesdays, trivia on Wednesdays, live comedy or music on Thursdays, and karaoke on Fridays. Find their menu online at shire.beer, located at 19 Flansburg Ave in Dalton, and from KB Accounting. Having a hard time filling that bookkeeping position? Are you just looking for more transparency from your bookkeeper? Maybe you're so busy you find yourself falling behind on your billing and payments. KB Accounting can help with all that. Online at kbaccountingpittsfield.com or call 464-0245. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. 
Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. And as I am reminded nearly every week, I am remiss to mention, also available on all of your favorite popular podcast platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you go find them. Um, So if you're not able to tune in on Friday morning and participate in our live show or live television show uh, check it out at your convenience as a podcast so we are uh just telling you guys on the break that none of my tech in here is working running in running stuff off of my phones instead of my tablet today and i just realized the reason none of my tech is working is because um both of my phones connected to some random wi-fi network when i walked in here and it happens technology (laughs) technology you know it's so we got this like phishing attempt in the office the other day and I'm, I'm, I'm reading it as, you know, getting ready to send it over to IT and tell them to blacklist. And like, what are these people thinking? I mean, our email addresses are clearly government email addresses. They got to figure that we're going to pay attention and get caught. Right. But it, they, well, they, they don't pay attention and they don't always get caught. Um, we unfortunately have had some Security lapses both digitally and with some physical security stuff. I'm gonna have to tighten up some of our protocols. Yeah, they're fishing. We have a we have a visitor at the station now checking out a suspicious package. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was a rough day. <laughs> <laughs> it, and actually, that's an interesting segue into the next part of our conversation here because I'm not sure it's not related to this bill. Um, so if you're tuning in, if you're just joining us this morning, again, today is the uh, February 25th episode of On Patrol with the PPD. Our guest is Michelle Lopez from the Berkshire Immigrant Center. She is remoting in. We've spent the first half of the show talking about this immigrant center and volunteer opportunities and ways that people can help and what their mission is. And I want to pivot in the second half and talk specifically about some law enforcement specific issues that have to do with um, immigration and or uh, asylum seekers or refugees uh, refugees as we kind of go into this next half hour and i thought we would start with the what is currently known as the work and family mobility act which has previously been known as the safe drivers act um, but it's uh it is a piece of legislation that is currently pending in massachusetts regarding whether undocumented immigrants should be able to obtain Massachusetts driver's licenses. So I'd like to ask Michelle to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, Chief Wynn. So the Work and Family Mobility Act uh, put forth by Representative Farley Bouvier and Representative Barber, I believe originally back in like 2013. So it's been a long time coming that this bill uh, has finally been passed by the House and passed by so many votes that it's um actually not able to be vetoed by Governor Baker. Um, So it's been a huge win for uh, those of us who are advocates for the immigrant community. It still needs to be passed by the Senate. And unfortunately, I don't think there's a date yet uh, for that to be brought forth. But basically, this act would allow for people without um, documents uh, who are immigrants in, in the Commonwealth to apply for a standard driver's license. And when I say without documents, I'm, I basically mean without official U.S. documents of entering the country, you know, like a green card, 
um, work authorization, social security number. A lot of these undocumented immigrants, you know, for lack of a better term, are documented. They have documents from their home countries, you know, authorizing who they are with a picture, you know, and details about who they are. Um, They just don't have anything, you know, coming from a U.S. official entity. So a driver's license is the perfect type of identification for someone to carry with them, right? It doesn't give them the right to vote. It doesn't give them, you know, the right to fly in and out of the United States. It is just a driver's license. And when I try to explain it to people who, you know, are suspect of the bill, they say, like, when you go to another country, you get a temporary driver's license. Like, you can drive in most other countries when you're on, you know, a long vacation if you want to. You can rent a car. Um, Unfortunately, it's a little bit more difficult in the U.S. and a standard driver's license is just that. The driver's license it, it mm. makes everything safer for everybody on the roads, not just the, the immigrant. Um, you know, people would be able to get car insurance. They would be able to um, be contributing to our <laughs> paving of our roadways. I think everyone's realized how uh, brutal <laughs> the Berkshire winter is with, with the roads and the potholes that we have. I know our crews are trying as hard as they can to fill those, but uh, they can't keep up. (laughs) And having an influx of money coming in to support the Commonwealth infrastructure for our roads and bridges would just be huge. Um, It's an estimated 80,000 people in the Commonwealth would be able to um, take advantage of the standard driver's license that are um, going to be available in July 2023 if this bill passes the Senate, which we expect it will. So I don't don't want to dispute any of the the description. I just I want to clarify a couple of things because I, I want yeah. to make sure that viewers and listeners understand. Visitors to our country, short-term visitors who are here as vacationers or on a short-term visa, they can drive on their foreign driver's license from their country of origin with a couple stipulations. And they can rent right. a car. Where this this bill is aimed at people who are beyond that status. And we can get into the reason why people are beyond that status in a minute. The other thing I want to clarify is that this current bill in, you know, but with its current sponsors goes back to, I think you said 2013, but efforts to pass a bill like this go back as far as like 2006 and 2007. Uh, And I kind of alluded to the, this is a highly controversial bill uh, and it's no less controversial among law enforcement personnel than it is among other segments of the population. But I've told the story before and I've told the story, I told the story in the state house, um, you know, Long before Representative Farley Bouvier was uh, in office, she was still working locally, uh, I made a innocuous statement that from a public safety point of view, I didn't see the, the downside of, of licensing undocumented uh, drivers because we knew they were driving anyway, right? There was a, there was right. a bunch of negatives to us and, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see I couldn't see any downside to allowing people who we already knew were driving to continue to drive without putting them and officers at risk. And that like two sentence statement got picked up by a national um, conservative pundit. And on, on Christmas Eve of my first full year as the chief of police, I was working late before I went home. And the direct line on my desk rang, and it was a cop from another part of the country who basically threatened me because he had read wow. the statement. Wow. 
And I was like, all right, brother, good for you. Let's not forget. Um, so when I, when I say, you know, it's highly controversial, it pushes people to very, very um, polarized positions and, you know, what, whatever. You know, that guy's got to live with, with his conscience. But it was interesting in the brief conversation I had with him, you know, he, he wanted to make me responsible for the public safety issues that they were facing in his state. And I was like, listen, man, I understand if I was on, if I was on your department, and I was working with you, I might feel differently about this, but in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, we're not dealing with, in this case, border crossing issues right. that you're dealing with. My situation in my city is significantly different than the situation you're facing. And I've got to figure out how to keep my local roadways safe. My responsibility is to the city of Pittsfield, not to the state of you know, and he was Definitely. he was not happy, um, but whatever. You know, many many people are not happy. I'm uh, sure that encouraged you to stay. <laughs> oh, your first year—that's awful. So the um, the the point is, I've as I've spent time on this, and I've learned more about it. One of the things that I've had to clarify, even with my my peers who may feel differently about this and you know this this is so this is so controversial that this year the mass major city chiefs of police came out in support of this current bill as an organization we had a vote to that as an organization we would support the passage of this bill but the mass ma- or the mass chiefs of police the the overarching organization for all 330 plus chiefs of police they had to take a more temperate approach and their approach was we have no position on this bill it's up to the individual members to take the position that best supports their individual communities which you know it's it's kind of a middle of the road approach but it also allows city chiefs to to take a more urban philosophy and rural chiefs to say you know this isn't something my residents support and and take a, a different approach and so as a statewide organization i i don't think they had any other choice but one of the things i've learned is that people who are not familiar with the immigrant population and immigrant status assume that an immigrant that is undocumented was always an uh an unlawful border crosser right that that they crossed over from mexico and that you know they did it through the desert with a coyote or in the back of a truck and that's not generally the case right Right. i'm not going to say that it it doesn't happen but most of the at least you know the immigrants that we deal with here most of them are in some other type of status and many in many times that status is overstays Right. So they came here on a student visa and for whatever reason, they dropped out of school. And now the conditions in terms of that visa are are no longer valid and they didn't go home or they came here on a tourism visa and they didn't go home or uh, they came here on a, a particular protected work visa. And then the company they came to work for no longer employs them and they didn't go home and i'm not saying that that's i'm not saying that that's okay but the the point is that they were originally here lawfully and then their status changed and when i explain that to people who in their mind they assume that they were a border crosser their attitude changes they're like oh that could happen to anybody right um i had the the morning news on today 
and there's a story there was a story within a story about a college professor who's trapped in the ukraine he's an american citizen he's trapped in the ukraine he's trying to make mm-hmm. his way out if he makes his way to poland he's going to be a refugee right <laughs> Right. He won't have a status. That's right. He won't have a status. <laughs> and, and he didn't do anything wrong, right? The circumstances change. Situations change. Right. Uh, and in many cases, um, you know, if if it's an overstay, technically, should they have gone home? Yes, right? Probably. But, you know, if I get a chance to go live in Greece for three months or in, you know, France for three months or in Israel for three months, and two and a half months into it, something happens and my status changes. I'm not sure I'm going to, like, you know, change my flights and come home early. I might just right. ride it out. Or think if there, you know, riots or something yeah. across Berkshire County or across the Commonwealth or across the Northeast. And you are abroad with your kids right. and you see that somebody is threatening, you know, to invade the schools and do something horrible. Are you going to bring your kids back to the United States if that's going on? No, probably not. And a lot of times this is what is happening with people who are here visiting family or in school. You know, those many examples that you gave are perfect. Um, And, you know, luckily we are very lucky in the U.S. And I hope people recognize how privileged we are to be in a country where, you know, freedom of speech and and liberty and all of all of things that we have offered to us here make it, you know, generally, depending on who you are, a safe place to live. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are visiting from other countries don't always have that back home. And for the sake of their children, the sake of their families, they decide to stay so that they can have a better life. And in complete honesty, if that were to happen to me and I was in another country, I would probably keep driving. (laughs) Right. You know, if I had been driving one day and then the world changed, I would probably keep driving. So let's... um, because you mentioned a couple very good points about they'd be able to insure a car. And so this is a weird, uh, almost loophole in Massachusetts general law, which I don't understand. Right. So if you're undocumented, you know, you're here in an unlawful status, you currently can't get a driver's license. And if you don't have driver's license, you can't technically get auto insurance. Mm-hmm. But for some strange reason, if you had insurance at one time, the Commonwealth doesn't care if you register a car. So when I was on patrol, it was not uncommon to stop somebody who was the registered owner of a legally registered motor vehicle that the insurance was still valid because somebody else had insured it. But they weren't they didn't have a driver's license. Were they considered a driver on the insurance? Nope. No. No, nope. right. you know, so maybe they had a friend insure the car for them or whatever, but they were the registered owner. They were listed on the registration as the owner of record, but they mm-hmm. didn't have a Massachusetts driver's license. And I would get frustrated because I would like I'd be putting the court, the court paperwork. Together. I said I should be charging them with unlicensed, unregistered, but I can't because the car right. was active. It didn't make any sense. So like, if you won't give them a driver's license, why would you let them register the car? And the mm-hmm. short answer was, you know, the registry was in it for the money. They didn't care. Um, right. You know, they figured they would register the car and somebody else would drive it. And that's just it's just naive. Um, right. But so the other point, and I told this story to a local reporter recently when I was a shift supervisor. Uh, this was way back when within like a f- seven day period, I stopped two cars. One was driven by a native born American 
local resident, born and raised in Pittsfield, and the other was driven by um, an undocumented driver. And so, same fact pattern, you know, see the vehicle, see a moving violation, stop them. They're both unlicensed. One, license suspended or had never had a license. Driver number two presents a driver's license from their country of origin and mm-hmm. what at the time was a fraudulent internet obtained international driver's license which you know wasn't a thing it wasn't the triple the triple a international driver's permit uh and the the translation didn't match and they didn't have their passport so not in compliance in any case mm-hmm. so i arrest them both and i charge them both same charges they both go to court within a couple of days of each other for the arraignment the U.S. citizen is found fully responsible for driving without a license and is fined and receives points on their license. That's how it's supposed to work. It's how it should have worked. The undocumented driver had all the charges dismissed at arraignment because neither the judge nor the prosecutor nor the defense attorney knew enough about driver's license law that they felt comfortable taking the case forward. So they just pitched wow. it. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, from an equity point of view, right, this, people are mad that undocumented drivers are driving, but they actually got a break because the court system wasn't prepared to deal with them. And if that was the end of the story, it, it would be humorous, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be over the top. What was over the top was when the case got dismissed, the defense attorney, who I know, walked over to 39 Allen Street and demanded that I give the documents back. And I just looked at this attorney. I was like, these are fraudulent documents. Mm-hmm. If I hand them back to your client, I'm now going to arrest him for forgery and uttering because he handed right. me fraudulent documents. Take the win, right? You, you beat the civil violation. Don't make me charge a client with a felony. But right. there was so little understanding about how licenses work and what was possible that you know, the, the district court just wasn't prepared to deal with it. We were the only people in the criminal justice system that was paying any attention to licensing for foreign drivers. Um, if it wasn't important enough for the courts to, to get up to speed, I didn't really think they should be putting on the backs of, of police officers. It needed a legislative fix. And it's been, you know, 20 plus years in the making. So Wow. You should publish that story somewhere so that it can be read, you know, and referred to on a regular basis. That's pretty astounding. Um, I will say that um, my husband and I have had a similar issue at our local RMV in Pittsfield. My husband uh, is a green card holder, but anyone who knows who's been going through the immigration system over the past, like, five years knows that, uh, unfortunately, USCIS, the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Service, is so behind on processing paperwork that anyone who needs to renew pretty much any type of immigration document is going to wait over a year for that document to come back. Of course, you get a letter in the mail saying like, oh, we've received your stuff, like here's an extension, but it's a letter. And unfortunately, when you go to the RMV or you show lots of different entities, not just the RMV, this letter and they try to put it in the system, the system, at least in the Commonwealth, is like, oh, that's not what we need. Oh, can you, you know, scan us this? Oh, we need this document number. And it, it doesn't always all match up. So although my husband has a status and is waiting on his permanent green card because of the backlog in the system, when we go to the RMV, 
he technically has to renew his license because his temporary green card has expired. Unless you know who to ask for at the RMV, there is somebody who is very, very, very well versed in immigration at the local RMV. Unless you know to ask for that person, you will get another attendant who doesn't necessarily know how to put the information correctly in the system and says you're not eligible. We have this happen all the time at the immigrant center with people going to the local RMV. That's right. And having to educate the RMV on their own stuff is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not on our, our local RMV. It's on the Commonwealth to train all of the RMVs correctly. And unfortunately, or, not everybody is as well versed in immigration or update the system. Update the system so that they don't have to parse this out with some expertise in, in immigration law. Right. So I can't personally, I can't wait for this <laughs> bill to pass because it's not only going to help make the road safer and, and protect people, um, you know, who will eventually get a standard driver's license who may not have U.S. residency or citizenship. It's also going to help immigrants who have U.S. residency who are waiting on this ridiculous backlog for their um, new green card to come in or their, you know, new their DACA renewal or what have you. That's a fascinating point. It's so yeah. much more stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but I don't want to leave this topic yet because I think there's a couple important things that you alluded to earlier that I think our viewers and listeners need to know specifically. Um, so I, I talked a little bit about the fact that if you are a visitor, a short-term visitor, and you are driving on a foreign driver's license, you're permitted to drive. I think it's it's either 30 or 60 days. You're permitted to drive during the, the term of your visit here, and you generally have to provide three documents. The first one is your driver's license from your country of origin. The second one is a translation of that, which in this country is usually available from AAA. And then the third one is your passport. As long as you have all three of those things in, in possession, you legitimately can drive here for that short period of time. Uh, and you alluded to the fact that there has been some negotiation during the, the attempts to pass this bill about what a applicant for a standard driver's license, not a real ID driver's license, a standard driver's license, which doesn't give them access to government buildings, doesn't necessarily allow them, you know, enhanced ability to board flights or get through TSA. It's just to drive. Mm -hmm. and doesn't register them to vote important things for the people who are opposed to this um one of the things that the mass major city chiefs and other law enforcement pushed back on that advocates for this bill and lobbyists for this bill agreed on was an updated list of what documents an applicant for a driver's license would have to present in order to ensure that they are who they say they are and that they you know their their ability to have driven wherever they came from uh what was either established or that they were prepared to take the test here and then you know go through that so among the list that is in the current version of the bill are those things right it's it's the right. driver's license from their country of origin their passport uh at the time that they got birth certificate birth certificate and so it's not like people are coming in here with you know two utility bills with two different addresses and being put in line for a Massachusetts driver's license. There was right. a lot of negotiation that went into this bill and the advocates, you know, well, they weren't always happy. They were understanding and they modified the list of documents that would be accepted by the RMV in order to qualify somebody for a standard driver's license if this bill passes. And, you know, even Governor Baker said, you know, we need to make sure that the applicant is who they say they are. There were, were much, there's, there's no guarantee 
that even a U.S. citizen is who they say they are when they go in to apply for a driver's license. We've taken fraudulent driver's licenses off people numerous times. Mm -hmm. But the list that they came up with to get as close as we can to certainty, it's a pretty good list. Um, you know, people are not going to be walking in there with some ID they purchased off of the Internet and walking out with a Massachusetts standard driver's license. Right. All right. I've been throwing a ton of questions at you. Lieutenant, Captain, you have questions or thoughts that occurred to you while we were discussing this? I'm just curious, what, is there any testing involved? Yes. It's, it's once. Yeah, same test we yeah, have to same go test. through. The, is it a road test? Yeah, or? yeah same, yeah. same test. Once, oh. once they accept their application, and written in road test. Okay. Yep. And, you know, that's, that's the point of some of the lobbyists is we know there are undocumented drivers on the road right now that have never been tested we don't know what their driving ability is right they're out there driving and in many cases their cars are uninsured and in communities that have passed laws like this their hit and run rate goes down because there's no incentive to flee if you're legitimately licensed right so there's and in many cases a lot of our local immigrants aren't coming from countries with snow that's <laughs> yeah. what i think about <laughs> you know we want well, them to be able to it, train and, and drive safely in in weather they're not used to driving in that's not going to be a benefit because unless you took the road test in the snow most of our residents can't drive in snow <laughs> I, I haven't been in to look at the status board. I'm sure we have had cars. There was a truck off the road or a truck off the driveway at 703 West Hoos when I was coming back from Levis and Levis. One of the delivery trucks just plowed off of the driveway and was in a ditch. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of day for patrol and traffic. All right. We are nearly out of time. We're going to have to have you back because I really wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about U visas and T visas. And we're not. We didn't even scratch the surface of that. The, the laws around U visas and T visas have changed in the last year, year and a half. Um, mm -hmm. we, we are under tight, tight time frames now to respond, even if we respond in the negative to the applications. Um, that, that is not fortunately something I have to do a lot of, but it is definitely something I've, I've gotten more and more of in my, my 14 years in the office. So we'll have to have you back on a future show to talk about those processes. Great. I would love that. Thanks so much for having me. In the uh, two minutes we have left, any final words for our viewers and listeners about the Berkshire Immigrant Center? Get that, yeah, get just that, that email out of there. You know, open to help obviously immigrants, but also the larger community. We love going into the schools. We are at Williams College, um, BCC, Simons Rock, MCLA. Um, you know, pre-COVID, we were going into the Pittsfield Public Schools and surrounding area schools, talking to a lot of eighth grade classrooms who are, are studying social studies and have to learn a lot of the things that are on the citizenship test. We just want to let the larger community know that we're open to, um, you know, giving presentations and workshops and just making sure that everybody has some knowledge of, of what um, immigrants in our commonwealth and county are going through. Um, and I hope that it resonates with you because, you know, 99% of us are immigrants or, uh, you know, descendants of immigrants. And I think that, you know, our family immigration stories are something that many of us really cherish. And I hope that you can 
relate to uh, or want to relate to what some of the newcomers are going through. So please reach out. Um, again, you can email us at info at berkshireic.org or check out our website at berkshireic.com. Awesome. Thank you again. We'll definitely have to have you back, especially to talk about the um, Afghan refugee resettlement program. But for the rest of the day, be safe and stay warm and dry in this snowstorm. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and available as a podcast. Tune in next week for another new episode where we're joined by Lieutenant Jeffrey Bradford. Until that time, stay healthy, stay safe, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.